So good to see you guys today. The joy in this place is tangible. The lightheartedness, that's what we prayed before the service, that there would be a noticeable difference between outside in the world and in here in the church. Not that we're excluding ourselves from the world, but we come in here, we come into the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, so we can take that out there to the world. So there's the, that's what we're experiencing today. There's that sense of his presence. That's what we need. You know, church is just not another meeting that we come to on Sunday. It's supposed to be an encounter with the true and living God. To be refreshed, encouraged, strengthened, and equipped to go back out into the world to our assignments. So we've been working our way through this passage. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. The focus has been on intercession. God is addressing this topic with the church, not just our church. God is challenging the church to go deeper in the matter of intercession. And by the way, I'm very encouraged, very encouraged with our church, our response to what God is saying, the call, the challenge to intercession. Sometimes, you know, you got to pull teeth with those activities and those applications. Not this time. People are coming up to me and saying, I had four names before I even left the service. I've been praying for these people regularly. And it's not a drudgery and it's not a duty. It's, it's kind of like a joy. And there's energy to pray for them. And I've heard one or a couple of the elders say, if we all begin to embrace these teachings on intercession, what is God going to do in our church? A church that's praying for one another like that. I'm getting the chills even thinking about it. The possibilities are endless. The fullness of God's will accomplished in the church. So I'm very encouraged with your response and my response. We're all responding to this together, to what God is saying. Today's text, strangely enough, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And I don't want to scare you away or drive you away, but this will be the text next week too, and then that'll be it. We will move on to the next section. I'd promise, but you just never know with God, so I better not promise. But that's what I'm thinking. This week, next week, move on. The content of intercession, Paul's prayer continued. We're looking at the example of the Apostle Paul, how he, how he interceded, how he prayed for the Ephesian believers and the Ephesian church. Will you stand with me? Donna, come. Into the mic, good and loud, you know that. Donna's going to read this passage yet again. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know 
What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, 17 through 19 contain the bulk of the prayer. We covered verse 17 last week. Paul prayed for them for wisdom and revelation. So if you've been following the activity or the application, there's been a special focus each week. First, we were just praying for people. Then we were focusing on giving thanks as we prayed for them. Then we were focusing on asking God to grant them wisdom and revelation. That was last week. We'll cover verses 18 and 19 today because Paul continues praying for them. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. We'll try and dissect these verses today and see what actually is being said there and how it can become applicable and practical for us today. That's always the intention. I feel that as much as possible, we have to leave here with the thought that we learned something and we're going to go out and try to apply that something to our lives. There's really only one request in this lengthy verse, these verses. There's only one thing that he prays for them, but it encompasses three separate objectives. The request is simply this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Enlightened. What what do you think that means, enlightened? Anyone want to shout out? What's the first word that comes to to mind when you're enlightened? Happy. You, thank you. You gain what? Insight. And another word begins with a U. Understanding. He's praying for them that they will gain understanding. Understanding is the key thing. Read Proverbs. With all of your getting, with everything that you get, get understanding. It literally means to shine light upon. Which in essence may, means make things understanding. Shine light upon, oh, now you understand. You, we've talked about the aha moment. 
when God all of a sudden gives us a, a moment of understanding, we're like, I never understood that before. Now I see it. That's what we're talking about. Shine light on it. Make it understandable. I pray that God will grant you understanding. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. In order that is a purpose statement. Whenever you see in order that, in order that in Scripture, it means that whatever came before is going to be a cause of what's going to come after. Do this in order that. So I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. What is the purpose for which God is, Paul is asking God to grant them understanding? It's understanding in order that they may know something, actually know three things. So one request, God, give these believers, these relatively new believers, they couldn't have been any more than three years old, the most of them, the ones who got saved right away, those who are getting saved afterwards are even less than that. So these very new, raw these very raw new believers, God, give them understanding. Help them to know some things. There are some things that they have to know. One request, understanding. I want you to understand. One purpose, I want you to understand so that you will know. Paul's saying, he's praying, he's pleading. Oh, if you could only see this. That should be our prayer for each other. That should be our prayer for the church today. Oh, if you could only see this. Christians in America, oh, if you could only see this. It's kind of like wake up and see what God is doing. And unfortunately, wake up and see what the devil is doing. The church was an ostrich for years with our heads in the sand. And then COVID hit. And we suddenly pulled our heads out of the sand and looked around and blinked. What is going on? Paul is pleading with these new believers in Ephesians right from the beginning. Oh, that you would know these things. I want you to see this. I want you to grasp this is what he's praying. Well, he want, that's his desire. So he's praying that God will do it for them. And it has to do with this, and we've mentioned this. It has to do with all that you are in Christ. All that we are in Christ. Paul is praying, I want you to come out of this world, flesh, devil-induced fog that you're in. So you can see clearly who you are in Christ, all that God has for you. All that God's doing. And unfortunately, we have to know also all that the enemy's doing because we're not to be ignorant of his schemes. But our focus isn't on what the enemy's doing. Our focus is on what God's doing. We're never called to be demon conscious, although we come up against demons. We're always called to be Christ conscious. And by the way, too, I save you a lot of time and energy, wasted time and energy. Stop trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. We're not called to look for the Antichrist. Come on. We're called to look for who? Christ. We're called to be looking for his appearing. And if you're spending all that wasted time, you're going to be disappointed. He's not going to be revealed until after the church is taken out. So you can't know. So stop worrying about that and get focused on Christ and serving him. You with me, Chris?
Much better way to live life focused on the Lord and trying to figure out what the enemy's doing. But I'm not minimizing that. God will show us what he's doing too so we can be equipped and more effectively. We'll talk more about that in Ephesians 6. We'll have to. Ephesians 6 is a spiritual warfare chapter. So Paul's saying, I want you to come out of this world, flesh, and devil-induced fog and lack of understanding and begin to know some things. You're so much more than you think you are. He says that. I'm telling you that. You are so much more than you think you are, and I'm speaking to every one of us. We've said it several times already. God's intention is that we understand, that we really know. And we begin living in what we know, living out what we know. Let this affect your life. Let this affect your daily life. Now, if you're like me, you really need this message. Maybe some of you don't. But I know a lot of us do. And I know that I do. I need to hear this. This is going to be a message that's easier said than done, too like so many of them. So Paul wants them to know three things in order that they may know their hope, their inheritance, and their power. And that's why we have to extend sermons in this passage because we can't take all three of them today. We'll take one, the hope. He's asking God for them to understand so that they will really know these three things. The first one that we'll focus on, the believer's hope in Christ. It might not be what you initially think it is because biblical hope is not the same as the way we translate hope in our common day English. I'll try to bring that out. The Bible speaks much on hope, what it is. What is biblical hope? Biblical hope is this. It's confident or confidence. It's assured or it's assurance. It's unshakable, solid, eager anticipation, eager expectation. Back to our text again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you are called, the confident, assured, unshakable, solid, eager expectation, eager anticipation. That's to what believers are called. That's in which, that's what we are to, in which we're to walk. Biblical hope, now listen, this is where it differs. Biblical hope is not a flimsy, fragile, weak, feeble, wishful thinking type of thing. That's the hope you find in this world, wishful thinking. The world's hope, what the world hopes for, is not based on anything solid or substantial. It's more of a self-centered desire. Oh, I hope this happens. Oh, I hope that doesn't happen. Oh, I hope there can be peace in the Middle East apart from Christ. That's wishful thinking there. That's not having understanding if you think this can be settled apart from Christ. If you think the governments of the world can settle what's going on over there, that's wishful thinking. Only the church can. And on its knees, particularly. 
But then as you pray, God gives you things to do as well. We need to know biblical hope. I need to know biblical hope more in my life. I know about it. I studied this. I put this together. I know about it. I need to experience it. I need to walk in it. We need to know biblical hope, the hope to which God has called us, the hope to which God has given us, hope that's based on the solid, unchangeable, unshakable word of God. No amens out there? (laughs) The hope of his calling, the hope to which he has called you, the hope to which he has called me, us. It's the hope of our call into salvation, just in general. The hope of our calling. We were called to salvation. Most, if not all of us, are in his salvation. We have this hope. If you're not, please see me before you leave. You want to know him. You want to know his salvation. And then you want to know his hope to which he has called you. It's the hope of our call to salvation in general. Salvation is the sure hope for believers, but it's also the hope of our calling into the specific will of God for us to our life purpose. There's great hope for all of us in salvation. There's great hope for you and for me in the calling of God on our lives. And hopefully this will make a little more sense. It wasn't making sense to me when I was first putting it together. I was like, wow, how do I, how do I even tie this into something practical? And I really wrestled with it didn't actually come clear to me till yesterday. So if anybody's been praying for me, thank you. Because when I sat down to finally put the final touches, all of a sudden it came more clear to me what God wants to emphasize today. Biblical hope is how we are to live in the calling of God in which we live. Let that sink in. Biblical hope is how we are to live in the calling of God in which we live, in our general salvation, which we all have, in the specific assignments and tasks and purposes of God, which in Christ we all have, but they're not the same. But in each one of those specific assignments and plans and purposes, we are to walk in hope. Our lives are to be characterized by hope. And if we think of hope, as I said, in just our English understanding, wishful thinking, that doesn't make any sense. But when we realize what biblical hope is, yes, I want to be characterized by that. Confidence, assurance, solid, unshakable. I almost said unstable. That would be the opposite. Unshakable. Whatever he has assigned to us in life, our lot in life, so to speak, the sum of all of our life situations and circumstances, whatever that is, in the day-to-day, in the moment-to-moment life plan of God for you, for me, we are to understand, we're to realize, we're to recognize, we're to perceive it, we're to be aware of it, the great hope, the confident, assured, unshakable expectation and anticipation that we have in Christ, that he's with us and he's working, that he's promised us and his promises are true. 
They will not ever be altered. He's immutable. He does not change. He cannot change or he would not be God. And he cannot lie. And he cannot fool around and dangle a carrot and say, hey, if you do this, I'll give you that. If God has told you to do something and he will give you something, he will. The breakdown is never on God's part, by the way. You know that. Confidence. 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 Hear that word. Maybe we even should say it. Let's say it three times. Ready? Confidence. 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 It probably takes the preeminence. Confidence is the preeminent thought in biblical hope. We are to be a confident lot. We're to be living with confidence in our God. You know, we often joke, but it's not really a joke. At CCF, we're a motley crew. But we are to be a confident motley crew. And we are to an extent. Listen. What do you mean, no? <laughs> You're going to have to talk to that girl, Richard. Okay. Listen. In three days, in three days, I'm not, I'm not prophetic. In these days, in these days of great stretching, pressure, stress, challenge, shaking, who hasn't felt it? In the midst of the temptation that I believe we've all felt, if you didn't, praise the Lord. In the midst of the temptation we've all felt to throw it in, to say what's the use, and so on. I think I need to share this testimony from Thursday. So there's a, there's a gentleman that I go and visit. I have for 17 months. I go once a month. His wife died. She was a believer. We did the funeral. That was 17 months ago. He has no, had no interest in religion. He has no interest in spiritual things. But he made it clear that he would like me to continue to come and visit him. So many times in 17 months, I thought, why am I doing this? I'm not his pastor. He clearly has already told me he's going to hell. He knows it and he doesn't care, even though he knows his wife is in heaven. And so I wrestled, but I kept having this, whatever it is, I got to go, I got to go. So this past Thursday came, and it was a busy Thursday. And I was this close to calling him and saying, look, I can't make it this month. He never talks about spiritual things, and I'm not exaggerating, never. I got there, and we sat down, and he said, hey, I got a question for you. I'm like, okay, usually it's about gardening or the corn. We, he lives out in the country, and we sit and watch the corn grow. I actually love it. He said, I got a question for you. Why does everybody hate Israel? Like, what? Where did that come from? I don't hate Israel, he said, and I don't understand why everybody's always fighting against Israel. So we talked about that, and that's not the important part of the conversation. That was just very interesting that he even brought that up. So then we talked about other things, and he, we got back in, and he got back in conversation. He said, so I was talking with my neighbor, Larry, and I told him, you come to see me, that you're a pastor. He didn't say my pastor. He said, you're a pastor, 
and that you come to see me every month. And Larry said to him, next time he comes, ask him about the afterlife. So he said to me, hey, my, my neighbor wants me to, to ask you about the afterlife. I said, well, what do you want to know? He said, is there one? I said, well, of course there's one. Your wife is there, and you know that. He goes, that's true. That's true. Off to another subject. Comes back, and I could see where he was headed. How can I know for sure that I will be there when I die? He's 83. He's in great health, but he's 83. How can I know for sure? So it wound, the conversation wound around a, a, a lot of rabbit trails, but came back to that question, and he prayed to receive the Lord on Thursday. I know. The point I want to make here is, how many times have we felt like, what's the use? Why am I even doing this? Why continue? Why stick to it? 17 months of that, never expecting this outcome, honestly. Personally, I thought he was going to die unsaved. I would be asked to do the funeral, and that would be a real stretch, trying to do a funeral for an unbeliever. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Here's another thought. You may have heard it. It's circling around in circles, Christian circles. It has been said, these are great days in which to be alive. These are great days in which to be a Christian. But if you look at the news, it's not. And if you look at the world, it's not. But if you look into God's word and into God's eyes, it absolutely is. This statement as well is circling around. They're not original with me. I've just heard them. I do embrace them. The best days of the church are in the present and in our future. The best days of the church are ahead of us. Stop looking back with the woe is me. I wish it was like, no, it's now and it's coming. God is mightily working if you have eyes to see, if you have ears to hear what the Lord is saying to the church, what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. That attitude towards life, right there. These are great times in which to be alive. The best days of the church are now and coming. That's a biblical definition of hope. That's walking in hope. Biblical hope. Boldness in Christ. Not intimidation by the world. Is, that's to what we're called. Boldness in Christ. Not intimidation by the world. Do not be shaken. And there's plenty to shake you. But believers have great hope. We have a great hope no matter what the circumstances. Here's an illustration from Scripture. Biblical hope. The word hope's not even in this passage, but it characterizes it. Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal. Perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly because they had a confident hope in the Lord. Knowing the hope to which we are called allows for that type of bold, confident praying and expectation. It's not a flimsy Oh, well, Lord, you know, maybe you see this and maybe if it's your, 
No, we're to pray bold, confident prayers. If we're erring in our praying, it's not because we're being too bold in what we're asking the Lord. He would rather us have, have us be overbold than intimidated. There's plenty of verses in Scripture that warn God's people not to be intimidated. Do not fear. Do not be discouraged. Do not be terrified. Be strong. Be strong and courageous. Be very strong. Be very courageous. That's all tied up in this concept, biblical concept of hope. Hope's what allows us to be uh, like that, of that nature. Because we have this unshakable hope. And Satan is continually out to break that down. Bring us into situations where we can't operate in that hope. And I know, and you know, it's so much easier to stand here and preach it than it is to live it. It's so much easier to have it and experience it when we're in here together and there's a hundred of us than when we're out there and we're facing unreasonable arguments against us and it's just us. I feel hypocritical when I say things like this because I struggle with the same things you do. But we need to have that hope even out there. Even when you're talking to an angry mob like Paul has done so many times. You need to be unwavering. We need to be unwavering in our biblical hope, our confidence, our assurance in what we believe. Which maybe we have to actually go back there. Are you sure of what you believe? It's hard to be confident if we're not sure. So we need to be in the word. So that we do know. And then we have the promise too. If we're doing our part, God says, don't worry out there. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Don't worry, I will give you what to say in that moment. And that's a promise. I, I don't mean to be harsh because I fall into that same trap out there when the irrational, unbelievable thinking comes against you and you're, you're scrambling, what do I even say? That's the time biblical hope has to kick in. How will I counter their argument? Because it's totally irrational. Many of the arguments today are totally irrational. You can't reason with that mindset. So we have one thing. What is it? The Word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. I feel like God has given me a two-pronged strategy for talking with people when they're irrational in antichrist beliefs. It is first of all to ask them questions so that they think and then to answer, well, it is written. If you try to tell them what you think, what your opinion is, you're going to get nowhere. You need to bone up on the word in these days. You need to know the word if you're going to be effective out there. We do. It's the only thing that will counter the irrationality. It is written, it is written. And they still... Many times won't believe it, but you can't be shaken off of it. How do they say that? That's my, that's my final answer, and I'm sticking by it. And I love what Jesus said when he got into arguments with the irrational Pharisees. He was just so bold in a good way, confident. He said, you know, you do err because you don't know the Scriptures. We need to tell people that. Even if they don't want to buy it, we need to tell them, well, you know, that's erroneous thinking because you don't know the Scriptures. Here's what the scripture says 
In the beginning, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. That's the truth. It is written. All these hogwash, rational arguments that you have, you're welcome to have them. But here's the truth. It is written. Yeah, you could get yourself killed. And I'm not joking. It may not, but there's a possibility it could come to that. You could get yourself killed for our biblical beliefs these days. But you know what I say? And, Lord, I'm a lot more bold in here than I am out there, I know. (laughs) But what I say is, what a cause to die for. we got to die anyhow. To live as Christ, to die is gain. Why back down? One other thing, and it's not in the notes, is, oh, sorry, Steve. I looked at the clock. <laughs> uh, it is one of the reasons Jesus sent them out two by two. It's much harder to fight these battles alone. I'm not sure what we do about that in the context of our culture today. We can't always be with another believer, but there is something important about having that support. He sent them out two by two. So at least two. So knowing the hope to which we are called allows for that type of bold, confident, praying, expectation, expecting, living for Christ. Paul prays for the Ephesians that God would enlighten them. He would help them to understand this great hope that they're called to. We're going to close with some scriptures and let the scriptures talk to us related to biblical hope. Romans 5.5. Hope will not lead to disappointment. The word disappointment means to be ashamed. It literally can mean to blush or be embarrassed, to be intimidated. Hope will not lead to any of that. When believers know and understand the hope to which we are called, the confidence in which we are to walk, we won't be ashamed, we won't be embarrassed because of being a Christian, of following Christ, of embracing his teachings, and talking about his ways. We won't be embarrassed, blush, be intimidated of of what we believe, sharing what we believe. We will be unapologetic in our Christian values and worldview unwavering in our stand on the word of God. And it's so needed among Christians and in the church today. Rejoice, Romans 12, 12, rejoice in our confident hope. When believers know and understand the hope to which we are called, the hope to which we are, in which we are to walk, then no matter the trouble, no matter the difficulty, no matter the challenge, etc., Hope allows believers to rejoice. Hope allows believers to experience joy. When, you, when we walk in that hope, we can be joyful. We are to be joyful. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you lose your joy, guess what? You lose your strength. And if you don't have hope, you won't have any joy because you'll always be tossed and intimidated and worried. It's kind of simple, but it's not easy. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. It's to characterize our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
When believers know and understand the hope to which we are called, the hope in which we are to walk, there's fullness of joy and there's fullness of peace by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is so attractive to a world that doesn't have that and is looking for it. But when they see us and we're just as worried and afraid and intimidated as they are, why would they turn to us? Right, church? There's a next connection between walking in hope and fullness of joy, experiencing fullness of joy. Without hope, discouraged, downtrodden, depressed. One of the leading causes of suicide is because people say there's no hope. There's no confidence that there's a reason to live. I did not have a confidence or a reason to live before I met the Lord. That's one of the things that changed drastically. One of the most noticeable changes in my life was going from thinking there was no hope, it's just going to end in death anyhow, to having great hope. There's now a reason to live, a meaning to life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, very confident, very assured. This is something that's going to be more and more needed in the days ahead. There will be, I hope there's not, and I hope I'm wrong, and I'm willing to be wrong, Lord. There will be confrontations in the days ahead if you live your Christian life. I would love to say it's not going to break into our area, but more and more I see it's breaking into our area. And we're a conservative area. We're sort of a Bible belt type area, but it's all around us. This boldness is going to be something we need more and more. <laughs> so it was, was it last week I was telling you guys I'm 70? And I was kept telling the Lord, man, but I'm 70, but I'm 70. Well, this is one area where it's not too bad to be 70. We're not going to be around all that much longer. You younger guys, good luck. <laughs> yeah, I know. By the time you get to be our age, whoo. Good luck. Just remember what we said, but we'll be out of here. Although, you know, the pastor that mentored me, both of them are still both alive and doing well. They haven't been able to get out of here yet. God has assignment for them. Colossians 1, 4, and 5. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. There's the future hope. Not only here, but there's great reward or great things or whatever you want to call it. We don't fully understand what it is, but there's, there's great treasure laid up in heaven for us that, in which we can hope, which we can be confident and assured. Christian faith and love here flow from confident hope in Christ. It's very hard to, to have faith and to love if we don't have the underlying undergirding hope. They flow, they build off of the hope we have. Sometimes we're just so busy trying to, we're so intimidated, we're so tossed, we're so then discouraged. We can't even operate in faith and hope or love. 
we're kind of useless to God in that state. He loves us. We're saved. That's not the issue. Full Christian experience, living for him, being effective, is what he's talking to the church about these days. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.3. We pray to our God and Father about you. We think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope connects to perseverance. It connects to persistence, steadfastness, stick-to-itiveness. Our hope in Christ is what continues, uh, enables us to continue on and not give up. Battle one was the rallying cry. Remember that? God gave us those two words, battle one. And they're still relevant. Hope enables us to battle on. Hope enables us to go visit someone who doesn't seem to care for 17 straight months. Until the day God says, today is the day of your salvation. I got a whole other theory I want to tell you about that, but it's not, I'm not going to tell you from the pulpit, but if you're interested, I'd love to talk to you. You might think I'm whacked out. If you don't already. Truth be told, I am. It's on you for following me. <laughs> Hebrews 6.19. This hope, this confident assurance we have as an anchor of the soul, it cannot slip, it cannot break down under whatever pressure bears upon it. A safe and steadfast hope that enters within the veil. This was so eye-opening to me. Hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple, that most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells. Hope in Christ, first of all, and we know this, it's an anchor. It keeps believers from being moved and tossed about. It's unshakable under pressure, our hope. Hope in Christ keeps us safe and secure. We know that. It keeps us from straying from God, straying from the truth, even under pressure. But this one, somehow, our hope in Christ actually enables us to enter his presence. I think it has something to do with being confident. Many of us don't want to draw too close to God because we don't really have a confidence. We're still more aware of our sin than we are of his mercy. And hope takes away that and opens the door for us to come right into his presence because we're confident that Jesus made a new and living way. We're confident that through, confident through his blood, we can enter right into the Holy of Holies. And as Steve said in his prayer last week, climb right up on our Father's lap. Hope enables us to do that. First Peter 3.15, last one. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You're going to be asked that in these days ahead because people have no hope. What little hope they do have is being shaken drastically in this world. And people are going to ask you if you're exhibiting it, if it is characterizing your life, people will notice that and they'll say, how can you be whatever in the midst of this? Don't you know that we're on the brink of World War III? Uh, maybe we are, maybe we're not, but that doesn't shake my hope. It doesn't shake who I am in Christ. It did before I got saved. It doesn't anymore. 
let me share with you why I'm not afraid. Because it is hope in Christ. And you can have it. People are like, well, that's, that's good for you. It's exclusive. No, it's not exclusive. God is not willing that any should perish. This is available to all. This 83-year-old gentleman that prayed to receive the Lord on Thursday had that type of thinking. It wasn't for him. Hell was his eternal destiny, and that's where he was going to go. Until he realized, by the working of the Holy Spirit, this is for him. And he's going to get to see his wife. Now, finally, he has the assurance he'll see his deceased wife. He always wondered about that for 17 months. The hope we have in Christ, the confident assurance, the unshakable, eager expectation, anticipation we have in this life, despite what this life is throwing at us, is to be shared with others, especially with unbelievers. The hope we have in Christ, the confident assurance, that whole definition, should be noticeable in you, in me. Should pique others' curiosity, draw them to ask, why are you like this? Well, my doctor put me on this new blood pressure medicine. Don't attribute it to something else. Attribute it to your hope in Christ. The reason I said that, and you didn't get it, obviously, that joke, is because I had a missionary friend who had to come home from the missionary field, mission field, due to depression, burnout, Worry and anxiety. And he made a statement, I will never go back to the mission field. Eh, you're going back. That's what I figure. And he did go back. And this time he was, he was successful to an extent. And he came back to see me. He was telling me about what's going on in the mission field. And I said, man, what do you attribute the difference between last time and this time? What's making the difference? And you know what I'm thinking came into this a full experience of Christ. And he thought for a moment and he said, I'd have to say what made the difference is the Prozac. <laughs> this is a true story. Now, I understand Christ is at work in his life. But what about the unbeliever that asked him, what is this change? Well, my doctor prescribed Prozac. I'm good to go. Oh, you just missed a, a golden opportunity to share all who Jesus is. In your life. I was so shocked at that answer because he is a mature Christian. I was speechless. I'm like, Prozac? And I'm not putting down Prozac, but don't attribute what's happening in your life to Prozac. Attribute it to Christ working in your life if you're a believer. So we're going to close, and we're going to connect this to intercession. This is a sermon on intercession, even though it hasn't been mentioned. It is. Today's main point, God is continuing to challenge us in the area of intercession. Verse 18, we are to pray. We are to ask God to enlighten the understanding of those for whom we are praying. In order that they may know the hope to which they are called. 
We don't know it. There's all kinds of strongholds built up in our thinking over years. The world, the flesh, and the devil have been working to keep us from knowing this hope. Now we need to start asking God on each other's behalf, give understanding so that we can begin to get it. We can begin to know this hope, and we can begin to walk in it. Prayer is going to unlock that to each other. Are you with me? Okay. Then pull out your insert. Again. Yep, and next week. Same as the last two weeks. Ask God to give you a name or names for which you will pray regularly. That is not say a prayer for them on the way to work. It is you will pray for them regularly. This week, the emphasis, as you pray for them, and it may be the same names. God may give you different names. He might take one off. He might add one. might stay the same. This week's emphasis is pray that God will enlighten their understanding to know the hope to which they are called in Christ. Simple enough? All right, then. Sonny, if you'll come. Sonny's going to pray. Bring the band with you. Bring the gang with you. Follow your leader. You can either go here or there. You'll go here. So then wait till everybody's standing and we're up here. You can stand with us. Sonny's going to pray and we'll close in worship.